Welcome to Theory of Indivisibility, solutions-focused evolutionary analysis of our social, economic, and political systems delivered to you in short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Dr. Sunjata. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm so happy that you've chosen to join me once again to take time out of your busy schedule and your life to go on this journey, continue to go on this learning journey, this this journey of discovery and this journey of deeper understanding. So this is an interesting time that we're currently living in. It is May 2020, and we're currently living through a pandemic and sheltering in place orders throughout the country and the world. My deepest sympathies go out to everyone who has been impacted in some way through all of this, whether it's been a loss of a loved one, loss of a job, a business. It's hard to find people anywhere who haven't been impacted in some way by all of this. And I've been in deep reflection and deep thought and critical thinking throughout it all. And like most cases, you know, my thoughts tend to um, run in parallel to a lot of the conventional thought that I'm seeing and talking to friends and some friends and on social media. Last summer, July 2019, I recorded an interlow episode, episode 10, titled Grappling with Climate Change Apocalypse, where I shared my fears, concerns, and hopes for dealing with the moment like the one we're in right now. And due to my heightened awareness of the natural processes of evolution and nature, there's no surprises for me in this moment. Um, I kind of grieved this moment before. So a lot of the, the fear that I see a lot of people experiencing uh, in this moment, I kind of went through it before when I first listened to the environmentalists you know, who shared their predictions about you know, economic and economy collapse due to some type of natural disaster and just um, all the changes due to the you know, climate change and the loss of biodiversity that continues to, to widen and grow due to human actions and a lot of those actions are fueled by capitalism which is our topic for today's show so if you haven't already make sure you go back and check out episode 10 for some more context in the previous episode titled capitalism part one we discussed the evolutionary origins of capitalism in human societies During today's episode, we're going to discuss the current complexities of the system of capitalism. During season one of Theory of Indivisibility, we are exploring the evolutionary origins, current complexities, and how my theory of indivisibility applies to the following social systems. Power over, patriarchy, religion, ownership, capitalism, democracy, systemic racism, and education. Season one evolves like a book. So for clarity's sake, I suggest starting from episode one if this is your first time listening. A huge shout out to the patrons of this show. 
Thank you to all of the people who have chosen to support the continued production of this show by becoming a patron. It really, really means a lot to me. If you get value from listening to this podcast and you'd like to support it becoming more sustainable, please visit patreon.com forward slash live indivisible. Whether you choose to give $1 a month or $100 a month, it truly, truly makes a difference. I can truly see why so many people love capitalism and the opportunities that it provides. In my lifetime alone, I've seen my generation grow up to live more fluently than our parents' generation. I often marvel at how economically privileged my children and my peers' children are in comparison to what we had to grow what we had access to growing up, low-income and working class in inner-city Philadelphia. In an article titled Capitalism is Good for the Poor, by Ball State University professor Stephen Horwitz, the benefits of capitalism are highlighted in great detail. In it, he makes some really great points. Horwitz states the following, nothing has done more to lift humanity out of poverty than the market economy. The number of people worldwide living on less than about $2 per day is less than half of what it was in 1990. For most of human history, We lived in a world of a few haves and a lots of have-nots. That slowly began to change with the advent of capitalism and the Industrial Revolution. As economic growth took off and spread throughout the population, it created our own world in the West in which there are a whole bunch of haves and a few have-more and betters. For example, the percentage of American households below the poverty line who have basic appliances has grown steadily over the last few decades, with poor families in 2005 being more likely to own things like a clothes dryer, dishwasher, refrigerator, or air conditioner than the average household was in 1971. And consumer items that didn't even exist back then, such as cell phones, were owned by half of poor households in 2005 and are owned by a substantial majority of them today. Capitalism has also made poor people's lives far better by reducing infant and child mortality rates, not to mention maternal death rates during childbirth, and by extending life expectancy by decades. The competitive market process has also made education, art, and culture available to more and more people. Even the poorest of Americans, not to mention many of the global poor, have access through the internet and TV to concerts, books, and works of art that were, exclusive, that were exclusively the province of the wealthy for centuries. Think of it this way. The fabulously wealthy kings of old had servants attending to their every need, but an impacted tooth would likely kill them. The poor in largely capitalist countries have access to a quality of medical care and a variety and quality of food that the ancient kings could only dream of. The reality is that the rich have always lived well historically. As for centuries, 
they could commandeer human labor to attend their every need. In a pre-capitalist world, the poor had no hope of upward mobility or of relief from the endless physical drudgery that barely kept them alive. Today, the poor in capitalist countries live like kings, thanks mostly to the freeing of labor and the ability to accumulate capital that makes the labor more productive and enriches even the poorest. These changes are not, as some would say, about technology. After all, the Soviets had great scientists but could not channel that knowledge into material comfort for their poor. And it's not about natural resources, which is obvious today as resource-poor Hong Kong is among the richest countries in the world thanks to capitalism, while Venezuelan socialism has destroyed that resource-rich country. Inventions only become innovations when the right institutions exist to make them improve the lives of the masses. That is what capitalism did and continues to do every single day. And that's why capitalism has been so good for the poor. End quote. All of that sounds wonderful. It really does. I can see why so many people sing the praises of capitalism. And I'm sure as I was reading that, some of you may have been nodding your head along and thinking like, wow, yeah. I mean, capitalism really has made some, helped us make some really, really great strides as, you know, in, in humanity. Before I learned systems thinking, I was right there with those people and, and maybe even with some of you who may, who may think the same. But now, as a systems thinker, I can see all of the ways that this article is incomplete. Notice that, notice that I didn't say wrong. It's not wrong because it is correct from a linear thinking perspective, which is the way we've all been socialized to think and understand problems. In the article title, Problem Solving Desperately Needs Systems Thinking, sociologist, sustainability activist, and educator Leila Akaraglu provides the following insights. Through socialization, including our education system, we learn to break the world down into manageable chunks and see issues in isolation from their systemic roots. We've learned that the most effective way to solve a problem is to treat the symptoms, not the causes. That's linear thinking. The A leads to B and results in C perspective. Yet, when we look at the world through a systems thinking lens, we see that everything is interconnected. Problems are connected to many other elements within dynamic systems. If we just treat one symptom, the flow of effects leads to burden shifting and often to unintended consequences. Here's a simpler way to say it. Problems never exist in isolation. They are always surrounded by other problems. End quote. So, so what burdens are shifted and what are the unintended consequences of capitalism that this article didn't address? To answer these questions, I'm going to introduce you all to a set of tools that systems thinkers use called systems archetypes. As Leila Akaraglu explains, archetypes are recurring patterns of behavior that give insights into the structures that drive systems. They offer a way of deciphering systems dynamics across a diversity of disciplines, scenarios, or contexts. Think of these archetypes as the storylines of systems in the world. 
Just as you can identify the same formula for a romantic comedy or a thriller in a Hollywood movie, these archetypes help systems thinkers see behaviors and flows in more concrete terms. So the first one that we're going to talk about is called limits to growth. The first archetype is called limits to growth. An example of this archetype is market saturation and housing bubbles. Equally, this is about the limitations to success that we have. Nothing can grow forever. At some point, the system will fight back and intervene to regulate exponential growth. That's when the bubble bursts. Another example of this archetype can be seen in sports. So when a team wins a championship, it's usually hard to maintain that level of success because the key players and the coaches become more valuable and they often demand higher salaries and higher paying contracts, not salaries because they get contracts, right? So they often demand higher paying contracts. And what ends up happening is it's impossible, oftentimes it's impossible for those teams to pay all of their top tier players at that high rate. But other teams are willing to pay those players that amount and those players end up leaving to get, you know, get their big payday. And even coaches end up leaving to get their big payday. So that's another example of um, limits to growth archetype. The next archetype is called the growth paradox. This is where growth in one location leads to a decline somewhere else. It's a basic law of physics that every action has an equal or opposing reaction. We know we live on a finite planet, and we see how the increase in wealth in one location will always come at the cost of wealth somewhere else. This can be shifted by the more equitable distribution of assets. But in most socially constructed systems, what I've called in this podcast human-made systems, equity plays a smaller role than individual opportunity. So when we see this archetype playing out, we see that for anything to grow, something else must be taken away. So what comes to mind for you when you think about this archetype? I think about how Europeans and later Americans gained massive wealth by extracting wealth from Africa in the form of people during the transatlantic slave trade and in the form of natural resources like rubber, timber, diamonds, and gold during colonization. I also think about deforestation and how in order to satisfy constant growth, like the building of new houses and to fuel the consumption that comes with consumerism and the need to have a constant flow of new clothes, new cars, new jewelry, new toys and new gadgets. It requires the continual destruction of natural habitats for wild animals and indigenous people across the globe. I also think about how constant growth and consumption is accelerating the extinction of thousands of plants and animal species around the world. I want to take a moment to share with you how I take this theory of indivisibility work into the world. At the heart of my theory is the belief that we have the capacity to learn new skills. If we want to live indivisibly, we have to learn how to communicate, resolve conflict, and govern our individual relationships, families, communities, and organizations in ways that reject power and privilege and embrace equity and collaboration. For the past five years now, I've been facilitating trainings on a skill designed to do just that, called Authentic Dialogue. Authentic Dialogue is about shared inquiry, a way of thinking and reflecting, 
It's an exchange where people think together and discover something new. It is the seeking of greater truth, a shared truth that results from a deeper understanding of one another. I have facilitated both individual sessions for two people and group sessions for organizations and companies. I also created an online training titled Create Healthy Personal Relationships and Thriving Organizational Culture with Authentic Dialogue, a three-step process for collaborative conflict resolution that you can access for free at my website under courses. Visit igotogrow.com. That's I-G-O-T-O-G-R-O-W.com and click book me to view a list of facilitation topics and please reach out to me if I can be of service to your family or organization. The next archetype is called shifting the burden. This is such a common archetype. This is where good intentions often lead to worse outcomes unless the system is understood. If everything is interconnected and we live on a closed ecosystem, then when you make one decision, like say to create the fast food industry and allow for aggressive advertising about the joys of eating hamburgers, the burden of delivering that resource is shifted to another part of the system. In this case, to the Amazon rainforest where a fifth of its forests have been cut down in the last three decades, primarily to clear land for raising cattle to meet the growing demands for beef. This is also defined as the law of unintended consequences of our actions, the accidental outcomes that occur in dynamic systems. So within those three archetypes alone, we can see some of the consequences of linear thinking, we can see some of the consequences of capitalism that weren't addressed in that article. What I love about uh, archetypes, and there's many of them, there's the article that I grabbed these from, there were 12 um, archetypes that were shared. And what I love about the archetypes is it helps me to see things in patterns. It helps me see the patterns uh, that continue to show up across different contexts within our social systems. And I'm at the point now where I can immediately see things that a lot of people see as beneficial and I can see the lack of like holistic planning, the lack of getting to the root cause of it and how it's just a band-aid solution uh, to a deeper problem. And a lot of folks can't see that, including me. I couldn't see it either until I learned systems thinking until I began to ask the questions I began to ask and find the answers that I found. So um, again, this is never to blame. Um, I hope that you know, through this work, more and more people will become aware. So my biggest issue with the article is that it lacks chronological relativity and context. The author is comparing present day poverty with centuries old wealth without addressing the key driver of oppression. And that's inequality. Yes, inequality looked different back then than it does now. And the barriers to living well have changed. But the fact that inequality and barriers exist at all is the problem. For some present day context, let's take a look at a Pew Research Center report titled Trends in Income and Wealth Inequality, released January 9th, 2020. Begin quote. The period from 1983 to 2001 was relatively prosperous for families in all income tiers, but one of rising inequality. 
the median wealth of middle income families increased from $102,000 in 1983 to $144,600 in 2001, a gain of 42%. The net worth of lower income families increased from $12,300 in 1983 to $20,600 in 2001, up 67%. Even so, the gains for both lower and middle-income families were outdistanced by upper-income families whose median wealth increased by 85% over the same period, from $344,100 in 1983 to $636,000 in 2001. The wealth gap between upper-income and lower- and middle-income families has grown wider this century. Upper-income families were the only income tier able to build on their wealth from 2001 to 2016, adding 33% at the median. On the other hand, middle-income families saw their median net worth shrink by 20%, and lower-income families experienced a loss of 45%. As of 2016, upper-income families had 7.4 times as much wealth as middle-income families, and 75 times as much wealth as lower-income families. There's so much to take away from thinking about and processing those numbers, but what stands out to me and what also is my critique of the article is this. During the time of kings and queens and absolute monarchies, the inequality of that era is what stood out, and the commoners were still oppressed by that inequality in a lot of different ways. So comparing poverty today to, to what inequality and poverty was back then isn't fair. We have to look at it in context of what's happening today. And as we can see, just based on these, the data that I just read, inequality, not only is it, does it still exist between the poor and the wealthy, but it is it's still growing it's growing at a, you know, at a, at a very fast pace. And, you know, it's hard for me to understand why people who critique and who understand and who praise capitalism don't see that they are literally praising a system that's continuing to widen the divide. It's continuing to widen the wealth gap. It's continuing to widen the gap of oppression and inequality. It isn't getting better. Just because uh, poor people live, quote unquote, better than poor people lived years ago, it has to be taken within the context of the present. And as we can see, within the context of the present, inequality still exists, and it exists in a major, major way. This reminds me of another systems archetype called seeking the wrong goal. This occurs when a goal is set that we know is a band-aid solution to the bigger thing at play. The wrong goal makes us feel like we are achieving something when really this behavior is masking something else. This reinforces superficial actions in the system that can, in some cases, perpetuate the problem that the goals are trying to resolve. Like, for example, trying to eliminate inequality and oppression with capitalism, which succeeds at consistently raising the bottom level of poverty while also perpetuating inequality and oppression. So, while yes, in my lifetime alone, 
I have seen visual examples of upward mobility and access to relative wealth and success for the people around me and the communities I've lived in. I've also seen signs of poverty and despair increase as well. For example, all throughout the metro Atlanta region, you'll find armed security guards or police on duty at schools, restaurants, gas stations, and grocery stores. I've seen an increase in homelessness and panhandling as well. All things that I didn't see to the degree uh, that I see them now when I was a child. In episode 12, I further defined my theory of indivisibility by introducing you to what I call a framework for social innovation. And it included two charts, the DNA of divisiveness and the DNA of indivisibility. I posit that if any social system has elements from the DNA of divisiveness chart, then that system will inevitably produce the inequality and oppression that leads to all of the societal dysfunction that we currently accept as normal. Let's take a closer look at the DNA of divisiveness chart. It includes the tools, communication framework, and outcomes of divisive social systems. While listening, I want you to write down or make a mental note of the connections to capitalism. The DNA of divisiveness. The tools. Power over systems use these tools to maintain power over and control of people. Fear, scarcity, dependency, standardization, moral judgment, competition, laws, conditional love, lying, exclusiveness, social norms, the illusion of freedom, intolerance, mistrust of human nature, and self-oppression. Like, for example, the idea that humans are born sinners. Communication framework. The communication framework of power over systems is debate. Characteristics of debate are only one side wins, insults, us versus them language, blame, shame, and the, and the idea that winning is more important than learning. The outcomes are incremental hard-fought and slow progress towards healthy functional social norms amidst perpetual divisiveness, war, crime, violence, poverty, pollution, homelessness, hunger, mental illness, and dysfunctional relationships. So as I think about the connections that I can make to the DNA of divisiveness thinking about capitalism, while thinking about capitalism, immediately fear, scarcity, dependency, uh, competition come to mind. Um, also, when I think about some of the outcomes of the DNA of divisiveness, divisiveness that I listed here and how capitalism is connected to them, I think about how capitalism is connected to crime, how it's connected to violence, poverty, pollution, homelessness, hunger, and mental illness and dysfunctional relationships. I can see how capitalism can play a role um, in all of those. It's connected to all of those things in some way. Capitalism and all of the connections that you and I made are a result of centuries of linear thinking. The good news is that there are people who, for several decades now, have been brainstorming and experimenting with solutions rooted in systems thinking. And we'll learn about some of those solutions 
next time on Theory of Indivisibility. Theory of Indivisibility is written, produced, and edited by me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform and share it with friends on social media. It really, really helps a lot. It takes 20 to 30 hours of research, writing, producing, and editing to complete each show. So if you like what you hear, you can show your support in helping to make this show more sustainable by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash live indivisible. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash live indivisible. That is also where you'll find show notes and resources for each episode, including all of the articles that I mentioned, the charts that I mentioned, they can all be found in the show notes. So thanks again for listening. And until next time, I love y'all. Peace. So fast, but will I slow down? The wheels and the bus go round and round. Sitting thinking how I'm living, what the longer now I'm coming to a point where I'm bridging the gap. I reckon living with the interpersonal ethic emerging to another level with my culture. Theme song New Vision is performed by Achilles the Cosmonaut. Find more from Achilles the Cosmonaut on your favorite music streaming app.